going everybody this is chris welcome to episode 164 of x lapsed we're uh well we're taking a brief break from our you know regular ongoing x books here to talk about something a little bit off the beaten path here we're talking about an anthology today but uh like the fella on dragnet said or to paraphrase the fella on dragnet it's uh, just the x ma'am we're uh, only covering the x-men related uh, stories in this anthology and I want to thank Jesse D. Young, our friend, for uh, pointing this book out to me, as I had uh, I'd written it off as being something more evergreen than something more uh, comics topical, and uh, I wasn't sure that there would be any sort of reflection on the current state of the X books in this uh, issue here, and uh, happy to find out that yes, in fact, there is, and uh, we'll cover it in just a little bit. But first, a little uh, aside about this book here. Um, This actually isn't the first time I was going to be covering this book, oddly enough. Uh, I didn't own it until just a little while ago, but uh, this one has been on my radar, and uh, it's actually kind of weird that uh, I'm finally getting around to covering it here. Uh, Folks who have listened to this program for a while, or any of the programs on this uh, network channel podcast thing, uh, you know that um, Reggie uh, passed away last summer, and uh, after, you know, trying to figure out what to do with this channel, if anything at all, after, uh, you know, after just going through the entire process, I tried to think of things that I could do that would be similar enough to what we, you know, loved doing together, but different enough to where I wasn't just you know, I wasn't trying to rehash what we once had. And I mean, it's a, it's kind of a a sticky subject and it's not one that I want to dwell on too much because, uh, well, well, I just, just don't. Um, I was wondering if this is something that we should continue doing, uh, or I should continue doing on this uh, channel here as over the years, it's become something that, well, it's harder for me not to do. You know, does that make sense? This is just part of my life now. And uh, to not do this uh, is harder than all the work that I put into doing it. And uh, I did take quite a bit of time away from the microphone uh, last summer, just trying to figure things out and trying to heal. And when I finally started kicking around ideas for how I could, you know, continue to uh, broadcast or just you know, have these little discussions with myself alone in my room. Um, I came up with a few different ideas. Uh, one of those ideas was to uh, focus uh, on anthologies. Um, 
I got actually pretty far into the process. Uh, the show was going to be called The Jam, you know, because uh, it's basically a jam. You know, you have these anthologies. It's all different creators. It's all different stories. It's all different characters, all different eras, times, places. I thought that would be a fun thing for me to do. And, uh, I mean, already I already had uh, created some artwork for it. I'd already picked out music. I'd already spoken to some folks about uh, popping on to help me out with it. And, uh, well, I just, I just wasn't ready yet. So it, uh, kind of fell by the wayside. And, uh, I mean, I'm taking the scenic route here, but as I was putting this together, I had, uh, I had reached out to folks and asked, like, hey, you know, what anthology should we be covering? You know, I, ha- I already have a backlog of anthology reviews, uh, which I could easily... Uh, translate into audio form here. We have the entire run of Action Comics Weekly at the blog. Um, we've got a grip of uh, Marvel Comics Presents. We've got a lot of Christmas anthologies, holiday anthologies. Just uh, There's a, an embarrassment of riches <laughs> in as far as anthologies are concerned that are basically ready-made for me to, uh, to chat about on the air. But I did ask around to see, you know, what was, you know, I, I didn't have my finger on the pulse, and I, you know, I still don't. But I did ask around to see if uh, there were any anthologies worth tracking down and checking out. And uh, this was, you know, the summer of last year. And the book we're about to discuss came out in the spring of last year, or maybe the late winter. Whatever the case, early 2020. <laughs> and I was told that uh, Marvel's Voices was an anthology that I should be checking out. And, you know, I made a note of it, but uh, when the project fell apart, or when I just let the project fall apart, um, I kind of just forgot about it. And I wouldn't think about it again until just uh, about a month ago when uh, our friend Jesse reached out and he's like, hey, these uh, these anthologies have some Krakoa in them, so uh, you might want to check them out or at least take a look at them and see if they're worth talking about. And so the, uh, the three Marvel's Voices anthologies that are currently out uh, move to the top of my list of uh, things to keep an eye out for. And I think within the next week, week and a half, I was able to track down all of them. So we will be covering all three of them and uh, all subsequent issues that come out. I believe uh, Marvel Legacy Pride was a book I just placed my order for on DCBS just a handful of days ago. So we'll cover that, and uh, like I said, the, like the Dragnet fella said, uh, just the X, man. We're going to cover all the stuff that's pertinent and relevant to our little journey through the Hawks, Pox, Docs, Rocks, Socks, whatever books. So uh, with all that out of the way, let's get right into it. We have uh, four stories to talk about today, and uh, let's do it. This is Marvel's Voices number one. This had an April 2020 cover date. The four stories we're going to be covering are Race, A Diamond's Worth, Death, and Back to to Madripoor. Easy for me to say. Written by Vida Ayala, Anthony Piper, Method Man, Daniel Dominiguez, David F. Walker, and Chuck Brown. Art by Bernard Chang, Anthony Piper, Aletha E. Martinez, and Sanford Green. Colors by Marcelo Maialo, Emilio Lopez, Anthony Piper, and Matt Herms. Letters, VCs Travis Lanham. With special thanks to Angelique Rock, Sana Amanat, Sarah Amos, Ron Richards, Steve Wacker. I haven't heard Steve Wacker's name in quite a while. Jill DeBoff, Mr. Daniel, Jorge Estrada, and Persia Verlin. Designs, Selena Mahina, 
Edits, Chris Robinson and C.B. Sabolski cover price, $5, and this one went on sale February 19 of 2020, so we are, uh, we're taking a step back to uh, last year. So let's kick this off with Race by Vida or Vida Ayala. I apologize, I can never say any names right, as uh, I probably just proved to uh, over a dozen people. Uh, Vida Ayala or Vida Ayala, Bernard Chang, Marcelo Mayalo, and Travis Lanham. So... Welcome to the first annual International Science Race Expo. We've got teams of scientists and big brains representing their nations in a race around the world uh, via site-to-site teleporters provided by the good folks at Stark Unlimited. And uh, Stark Unlimited would probably be one of the more boring 1990s comics, wouldn't it? Uh, Anyway, in addition to many real nations, which include Japan, the UK, the United States, which I think is represented by the new young wasp, I think, and a bunch of folks standing before flags that I do not know the origins of, uh, I think one of them might be France. I've never lied to you folks, I'm not a worldly fella. I am so out to lunch that it took me several years to realize that the state of Arizona had its own flag. I just saw this flag flying in the sky and I'm like, what is that? And my friend was just like, that's the state flag. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, So yeah, in addition to these real nations, we've got representatives from Wakanda, and that's Black Panther and Shuri, naturally. And the reason that we're looking at this story in the first place, Krakoa, which is represented by Forge and Prodigy. Now, Forge and Shuri share a little bit of trash talk before the race kicks off, but then they're off. For much of the early legs of this race, Forge is able to maintain a healthy lead over the rest. After a port into Antarctica, however, Shuri is able to overtake him. Then they port into, I don't know, some place where they need to pull a Thelma and Louise to reach the next teleporter? And so they do, and they're neck and neck at the time. Out the other side, however, they crash into each other. Prodigy pulls Forge from the wreckage, and Forge sees the state of Shuri's vehicle, and it's pretty mangled and also upside down. And so Forge rushes over to try and help save her, only to find out that she'd actually saved herself. She's smart, you see, and she had an emergency ejector put into her rig just in case something like this were to occur. Shuri informs him that, uh, well, the race is over and they both lost. In the background, a racer in a green outfit is being hoisted into the air. Champagne bubbles everywhere. I'm not sure which nation he's from. Uh, Maybe we'll just say he represented Greenland, since, uh, you know, he's wearing green, even though I don't think Greenland is actually a country. Maybe it's a Doombot. Maybe Latveria won. Let's, Let's go with that. Let's go with that. None of that really matters, though, as Forge and Shuri have learned a powerful lesson. I think. Uh, Whatever the case, they respect one another, and they promise to revisit their competition sometime down the line in a, you know, one-on-one sort of way to avoid any ambiguities and confusion here. I really like the way that they're, uh, that they are showing respect for one another as uh, competitors and as, uh, you know, big brains. We wrap up this story with five young characters telling Forge that they're his biggest fans and asking for his autograph. Welcome to the world, children of the atom. Yep, <laughs> this one panel is the entire reason I put around uh, 90 miles on my car trying to track this issue down. This is the first appearance of the kids from the Children of the Atom series, who uh, we're going to learn a lot more about in um, hmm, episode 177 or so of this program, which is, uh, I didn't think it was that far off, but in fact it is. But that's where we leave race. 
Next up, A Diamond's Worth by Anthony Piper. Now, this is just a single-page story about the White Queen uh, comparing herself to a diamond. Um, Really not a whole lot to say about it. If you're into this sort of thing, it's kind of poetic. It's done pretty well, and I mean, the art is, is lovely. Ultimately, though, this doesn't give us a whole lot to say. Which, you know, it's one of those uh, blessings and a curse It's nice to look at, it's decent enough to read But there isn't a whole lot of meat to, to chew on here uh, She does mention that she was once part of the Phoenix Five So I guess that's still a thing Our third story is Death By Method Man, Daniel Dominguez, Aletha E. Martinez, and Emilio Lopez Now this is the first of two Wolverine stories The, uh, you know, the second half of this will be two Wolverines And this one has him in the deep woods, right outside a small campsite, and he's waxing poetically about death, about how he met her a couple of times, and now he sees her here at this campsite. Now, he approaches death and asks why she won't take him. Then he turns and sees who death is really here for, and it's, uh, I think it's Pasquinelle from that Centennial miniseries that they forced us to watch back in seventh grade. Uh, You guys familiar with Centennial and, and old Pasquinelle? You remember him? He was that guy who, anytime he was asked a question, he would respond with, I do not know, I just tried to be there. You know, he was, he was that guy. Anyway, we learn here that Pasquinelle actually stormed this campsite and murdered the folks here, folks that he refers to as dirt worshippers, in order to swipe their beaver pelts. Wolverine declares him to be evil, and then death takes him. Wolverine then lunges for death and pops his bone claws, begging to be taken. Death does not oblige. Now, you see, this is a story occurring, I'm assuming, right after Origin, or maybe Origin 2, which I do have somewhere in this room. I've just never gotten around to reading it. Now, our fourth and final story, as mentioned, is another Wolverine tale. It's called Back to Madripoor by David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, Sanford Green, and Matt Herms. Now, we open with Wolverine in his patch attire, beating the holy hell out of a bar full of patrons in Madripoor. You see, we learn here that someone has decided to block Madripoor's Krakoan gateway, and that, of course, is a very bad thing. Old Patch comments that he's not allowed to kill any of this lot due to Professor X's new rules, but even though he can't kill nobody, doesn't mean he can't, uh, well, you know, maim them to the point where they wish they were dead. And so we get a couple of pages of Logan doing just that. Later, he changes into his Wolverine togs, you know, the, uh, the brown and uh, tans or whatever. And he follows the scent of gamma poison and death. He finds, standing right before the Krakoan gate, Joe Fixit. Or or the Hulk, anyway. I'm not sure if they're still calling him, you know, this this version, Joe Fixit. Or if the lighting is just making him look gray. He's in a tuxedo, though, so I'm I'm guessing Joe Fixit's a decent enough way to, you know, identify him. Anyway, they chat for a bit before Hulk decides to start smashing. We learn that Banner's body washed up here on Madripoor a few weeks ago. And I'm not sure if this is actually something that happened in the Immortal Hulk because I don't read that book. But, uh, I mean, what's the harm in assuming it did? So yeah, Hulk is here to beat up bad people. And now, he's going to fight Wolverine. Now, he mocks Wolverine at first for being, quote, declawed and housebroken on Xavier's Fantasy Island. As they fight, however, Hulk's demeanor changes. It seems as though Banner is wriggling his way back into mental control. Again, you'll have to excuse my immortal ignorance. I haven't the foggiest clue as to the Banner-Hulk dynamic or relationship right now. Anyway, Banner takes over and shrinks down to human size. 
He tells Wolverine that he's here on Madripoor so he can try working on a cure for himself during the day, while giving the Hulk plenty of villains and ne'er-do-wells to punch during the night. And, you know, I, I've heard worse ideas. He then tells Logan that, hey, you know, if this plan winds up costing a few innocent mutant lives, then so be it. To which our man places his places his fist like under Banner's chin, and then pops three claws directly through Banner's brain. Don't worry, though, he didn't break any Krakoan laws because Banner can't die. Or something. So uh, the demandment still stands. Uh, Logan then slings Banner over his shoulder and walks him away from the portal, and we are done. Next episode, we're going to be taking a look at X-Force 17, The Many Deaths of Quentin Quire. But now, let's talk about this very fun issue we just took a look at. Um, Now, I'm no stranger to anthologies. Uh, As mentioned here, I've covered many, many, many anthologies. uh, Over for the DC side, of course. But uh, they're kind of tough to pull off. You know, they're not always easy. Even when they're, like, thematically linked or when they're just random. They're hard to pull off. They're hard to maintain interest. They're hard to... I think they're hard to read cover to cover. Because they are comprised of many different flavors, you know um, Sometimes you, you like the flavor of two or three of the stories And you don't like the flavor of another two And that's kind of the way anthologies work I mean, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know um, But I think this one, at least from the X perspective Which were the only stories that I actually read here I think it did a really good job In that uh, the stories managed to walk the line between being relevant to the current day X-Books And also, in a way, evergreen Sure, I mean, I can't deny that there are some very in-the-now bits here I mean, including the very reason we're covering it Krakoa being a thing Also the Hulk being whatever the hell he currently is in his book But they really make it so that these stories could be enjoyed later on down the line uh, Whenever I mean, these are just solid stories Which, I mean, that's what it's all about Now before we, like, sum up the uh, you know the collected X stories in this uh, in this issue here. Let's go one by one here. We'll start with the beginning. Race. I thought this was a fun story and a really cool way to integrate uh, Krakoa being a thing into into a story here. I mean, you don't need to know much about it. It's just a race, right? I mean, they're racing around the world, representing their nations here. But at the end of the day, it's a story about sportsmanship. And sure, sometimes those kind of stories can be preachy and heavy-handed. Here, though, I thought it was uh, it was pretty well done here. Forge and Shuri have, uh, f- well, <laughs> no pun intended, they've forged this uh, mutual admiration and respect for one another here as racers. And uh, I don't know Shuri's full story here. I don't know if she's an, an inventor in her own right, but... Uh, they have a respect for one another, and they appreciate each other's talents here. And the fact that, you know, Forge, they crash, right? And rather than focusing on, you know, pushing his rig across the uh, finish line, he sees that uh, Shuri might be in trouble and decides to give her a hand here. Very, very well done. The art here was wonderful. Uh, really, really well depicted. Um, it's hard to it's hard to maintain interest in a car race in real life or in comics, and I'm speaking for myself, of course. But this here kept my interest, and I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the way it looked here. Of course, we need to talk about that final panel <laughs> and the uh, introduction of the Children of the Atom, which is the reason why 
like I said, I put a lot of miles on my car to track this one down uh, because, I mean, we are living in the age where people try to make mountains out of molehills as it pertains to comic valuation. We've got those apps that have been running up prices to ridiculous and really artificial levels here. Um, I was actually just looking on eBay to see how this, uh, how this book priced out. And, I mean, there are people trying to sell this on the basis that it's the first appearance of the Children of the Atom for $45, 50 $60 on eBay. I managed to find it for cover price at a comic shop across town. So, if you do want this for that reason, don't go to eBay. Do, do me and you a favor. Don't go to eBay. Uh, you can probably find this. Uh, also, it is worth noting that this is free on Comixology. At least at you know, as the time of this uh, recording, you can get this issue in its entirety, from what I can tell, for free on Comixology. So, if you just need a version of it, physical or digital, don't go to eBay. Please don't go to eBay. Uh, next story we have is uh, the Emma Frost story, which, like I said during the synopsis, there isn't much to it. It's a, a fine story. Um, it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's not even a story, really. It's a monologue. But it allows someone to draw some really good pictures of Emma Frost and also to kind of examine uh, some of her uh, characterization. And like I said earlier, it was done well enough and it was gorgeous. It was really, really nice to look at. It's just one that doesn't. I mean, I'm doing it a grand disservice by attempting to analyze and review it here, and and that's that's one of the things you run into when you cover anthologies, which I learned over the course of my time doing uh, over 42-page Superman strips in Action Comics Weekly. Sometimes things just are what they are, and you're not supposed to actually stop and try to uh, write a dissertation on them. And to do so would only be doing it a disservice. Uh, but... Like I said, it was pretty. It was pretty to look at, and it was a fine look into the Emma Frost character. A death. Now, death was uh, one that I was prepared to. I was prepared to kind of not not so much rip it to shreds, but kind of point out some inconsistencies in it until I got to the end of it, because here we have Wolverine begging for death, which, you know, if you're reading along with the current year stuff, it's like, well, you know, Wolverine just came back from the dead, so why would he want to be dead? Why would he be begging for death? It's not until the end when you see him pop the bone claws that you realize, oh, okay, this is a story from the long ago. This is him escaping from origin, you know? This is his earliest days here on the run or on, on his own, where he has nobody, where he has nothing, and he can't die, you know? So he is scared, and he just wants a release. He wants to be he wants to be out. So it makes perfect sense here. And I thought it was well done. And and also it gave me an opportunity to say Pasquinel several times. And I don't think I've said Pasquinel in like thirty years. So I, I thank uh, Method Man and Company for the opportunity to say Pasquinel and do my Pasquinel impression, which uh, I'm sure has gotten only better since I was in seventh grade. So. There's that, of course. Uh, our final story, uh, back to Madripoor here. Definitely embedded in the current Krakoa landscape here. We do have the Krakoan gates, so this is definitely of now, right? Thought it was good. Uh, like I said, I have the immortal ignorance. I don't know the Hulk story right now. I can make some assumptions, but I'd probably be wrong. I can see that he can still transform into... He's not separate from Banner. 
So, and, and we're back to the Hulk transforming into the Hulk at night, like when he originally debuted. I'm not exactly sure why the Hulk was blocking the gateway. I, I don't know. I, maybe that was made clear and I just, I just missed it among the fighting, but... Uh, Hey, it allowed for a Wolverine and Hulk fight scene, and those are those are always fun here. The art here, I, I was prepared to come in and be like, eh, it wasn't for me, but I liked it. <laughs> I, I ultimately wound up liking it. Um, it is uh, different from the rest of the stories we covered today, but I think it really suited the tone of the story and really managed to capture uh, some good shots of the Hulk fighting Wolverine. I thought it was very, very well done. And boy, am I saying the words well done a lot lately. I've really got to uh, go to thesaurus.com and figure out other ways to say, hey, I liked this, <laughs> and saying, oh, this was well done. But overall, I enjoyed my time with this. The four stories we read, I didn't, like I said, I didn't read the rest of them. Uh, that's not an indictment against them or uh, me saying I don't want to, but uh, at this point I'm putting out like, a show and a blog post every single day So I, I don't have much time to read things that are not going to serve A creative endeavor of my own Now I do want to be honest with everybody here And say that uh, I did go into this with a teeny bit of um, trepidation I wasn't completely sure what to expect um, But sometimes in comics or uh, in any sort of uh, entertainment genre, um, in order to celebrate some, you have to rely on tearing down others. And I I thought that this was going to be a collection of like heavy-handed morality plays rather than actual stories. And boy, I I couldn't have been more wrong. I'm, I'm very, very pleased that these were stories. These were good stories. These were stories by people who very clearly have an affinity for these characters, and, and for the comics language, for the comics art form, which I, I couldn't be happier. I remember um, a little tangent here. Uh, I haven't really stayed on top of social media. I mean, I've been clear about that from the get-go here. That's probably why the show has not grown <laughs> to the point where I would like it to. I'm just not good at social media. And, uh, I mean, if anybody wants to try to teach me, please, uh, my mailbox is always open. But there was a time where I was a little bit better at it. (laughs) And I was part of uh, a lot of, you know, amateur content creator groups. And uh, this was during the heyday of uh, uh, big arguments in the fandom, we'll say. We're not going to name any things here, but uh, arguments (laughs) about... Uh, Comics and uh, content in comics and creators in comics And the question that would come up Well, actually, the theory that would be floated Would be that some creators in comics shouldn't be creating comics And you're all smart people You know exactly what I'm uh, sort of alluding to here Uh, A very, very ugly time in our fandom And any time it would be, uh, you know, laid in my lap Like, who should be creating comics here? Um... My answer was, and and always will be the same, people who love comic books, people who love these characters, people who love to tell stories should be allowed to tell stories. I don't care what, you know, gender, race, creed, um, orientation. You know, if you pull a lever for someone with an R after the name or a D after the name, I don't care. You know, that doesn't matter. If you love comic books, if you want to see comics succeed, if you want to celebrate these characters, if you want to share your, 
I, I mean, at the risk of sounding completely corny, uh, if you want to share your voice, like this book, Marvel Voices, you should be allowed to. Um, I think, as far as comics are concerned, uh, we're so focused on narrowing the scope, the breadth, the fandom. You have people on different sides, different polar opposite sides, who want the people on the other polar side gone from the fandom, like they don't belong, which is stupid. Because we all need to be here. We need this industry, we need this art form to live on, and to actively try to narrow the focus of who can and who can't read, write, draw, just be part of this at times wonderful and at times horrible fandom. <laughs> we need to we need this to grow. We need this to grow and more voices is always a good thing. More voices professionally, more voices as fans, more voices as content creators like, you know, the idiot podcaster you're listening to right now. We're all part of this. And if we start if we start narrowing it out, if we start kicking people out or telling people they don't belong, then I mean, then this industry is going to fold quicker than it would otherwise. So I couldn't be happier that a book like Marvel's Voices and the subsequent issues of Marvel's Voices exist, giving people the opportunity to share their voice and to add to the lore of the Marvel Universe here. These are not just one-off nothing stories. We introduced the Children of the Atom here. I, I guess they introduced a, a new Spider-Man villain here as well. I, I just saw on, uh, uh, you know, flipping through eBay here. These are stories that are going to add layers to the greater Marvel Universe here. And it's, it's nice to see. It's very, very nice to see. So I don't have any complaints <laughs> about this story. And like I said, it's free on Comixology if you'd like to check it out. And uh, just just don't pay don't pay fifty bucks for it on eBay. <laughs> you could find it for a lot cheaper than that. You might just have to put a few miles on your car. But that's all I got to say about that. I hope uh, this episode may have opened uh, uh, some eyes to checking this uh, checking this anthology out. But before we cut out of here, let's hop into the mailbag. Here we got a couple of letters to get to. We're gonna start with Damien, who's talking about X Factor number seven. He says, I love this version of X-Factor, but what in the hell is going on with these titles? Way too pretentious. It's almost enough to spoil the book. And yeah, if you're following along with X-Factor and the episodes here, you'll probably notice that I groan every time I read the title of the issues here. On one hand, I should be happy enough that there are titles, because I hate it when they when we have single issues here that don't have titles. <laughs> We're doing Generation X Volume 2 And there are no titles on that And it feels just so unfinished without a title But the titles on X-Factor Oh boy um, Yeah, it's it's like Latin phrases And musical uh, language It's very strange um, And yeah, very pretentious But I do agree with Damien That this version of X-Factor is pretty damn good uh, Damien continues, I'm really enjoying this book. Every character gets a moment every issue, so you're slightly more invested each time out. And yes, in addition to this being a very fun book, the fact that every single character gets a moment is just something that is missing in so many team books. Um, uh, Leia Williams is just really killing it with um, with writing this team book as a team of individuals who all matter. You know, no matter how little they show up, they all get their moment. 
they all we, we we get to check in with every character and i mean if you're following along with uh, with shows like generation x lapsed like i'll refer to whole swaths of characters as x-men wallpaper because they are <laughs> you know it's like how many times can we see shark girl just walking around the background of a panel not doing anything or not saying anything just being there because hey here's a weird character look at her it's, you know, I think like uh, ever since the mutant boom, uh, the Grant Morrison mutant boom here, we've gotten accustomed to just having various levels of X-Men wallpaper. You don't get that in X-Factor. In X-Factor, we get, we get something from everybody, and it's wonderful. Damien continues, As for your question about whether or not Tommy, that Speed, is a mutant, we may be fake-ass comics historians, but we cannot be expected to explain the Scarlet Witch's family tree. Very good point. Uh, now, Speed, of course, is one of uh, Wanda and the Vision's um, sort of kind of twin kids, I think. I, I mean, I I might have to turn in my fake-ass comics historian diploma and badge uh, and plaque. But, uh, yeah, I think the last time I read about them was during the Children's Crusade. Which was a fine story. I really had a good time with that. But back then, I think even the Scarlet Witch was still a mutant. I'm, I'm actually fairly certain she was. They hadn't decided to retcon her just yet. So I don't know if Tommy... I think, like, on the Marvel Wiki, Tommy is listed as a mutant. Is he? I, is he actually? I, I really don't know. Maybe we'll find out more along the way. Uh, Damien continues. The mystery surrounding Prodigy's death is a lovely little wrinkle. It does make me wonder about many other deaths and resurrections. There's always been a bit of me that wondered about Wolverine dying on the Orcus Forge. Previous stories have had powers recover from similar explosions. Maybe he's still out there. And yes, this is a wonderful, wonderful little wrinkle that adds a very interesting layer of mystery to this book here. And it's... So cool that it's the character who right now is studying mutant corpses and <laughs> that we don't even know if he is the genuine article. Um, now, if you're not following X-Factor here, uh, X-Factor have been put together to verify mutant deaths. So before the five will resurrect a mutant, X-Factor has to be there, take the pulse and be like, okay, this one's actually dead. So we've got Prodigy. The character Prodigy, who was depowered, now he's back, he's back to life, he's got his powers again, and he seems to think that he died in an attack, I'm guessing during the previous volume of Uncanny X-Men, simply because Wolverine and Cyclops, who were leading that ragtag crew, said he was among the dead. X-Factor wasn't around back then, Krakoa wasn't around back then, so we don't have any verification that he died. And here Speed comes, and he's like, hey, you didn't die there because you and I made out at a club after that fact. Which leads us to believe that there might be two prodigies out there, and it begs many, many interesting questions. Uh, first, I mean, if the prodigy that was still alive was still depowered from M-Day, which one takes priority? Like, if, that, if these two prodigies meet, we have one with powers, we've got one without powers... We're only allowed one. Does the Quiet Council say we take out the one with the powers who we've already invested in, or do we take out the genuine article who doesn't have his powers? Does he have a choice in the uh, in the matter? I think this is going to be a very, very interesting uh, story, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it builds. As for Wolverine on the Orcus Forge, 
I, I had similar ideas as well, or similar thoughts, because, um, I mean, this takes me back to my days on Usenet, and this is a tangent that I apologize for, because I'm sure I've told this story before, but I remember looking at the FAQs, or the facts, if you will, about um, the Xbooks over on Rack, Rack Arts Comics Books X, whatever the hell it was back in the mid-90s, and I believe it was uh, Kate the Short who did the FAQs. And one of the questions on there was, can Wolverine really regenerate from a single drop of blood? And the answer was yes, because in Uncanny X-Men Annual number 11, he did just that. Of course, that drop of blood landed on a mystical gem of some sort, but the fact remains that he was able to do it. And so that was like one of the first books that I ran out and searched out uh, because of something I read on the internet, because I had to see how it played out. And yeah, I mean, the blood landed on a crystal of some sort, and Wolverine was able to regenerate. So, I mean, if he was vaporized on the Orcus Forge, uh, he might have been able to come back from that. Uh, You just don't know. Wolverine's powers are nebulous and convenience-based, right? We don't know if... uh, We don't know if he'll be... You know, shot in the head and killed, or if he'll be, like I said, ground into powder and still be able to regenerate. It really just depends on what story the writer wants to tell. Uh, Damien continues, I think X-Factor may be beginning to overtake Marauders as my favorite X-Book. It is completely unpredictable. And yeah, I <laughs> when we started X-Factor, you guys know how much I did not care for it. I thought that it was going to be a an Excaliburian slog every time out. But, uh, you know, I, I've been meaning to do a tier list. That's something that uh, our friend Evan was talking about doing, and uh, I want to get in on that as well. i got to just figure out how to work one of those websites or find one of those websites that I can play with. But, you know, if I was to rank them, um, you guys know my top book right now is Hellions. But for number two... It's got to be X-Factor and Marauders neck and neck. It's, uh, they're, they're both so strong. Uh, the, you know, Hellions is, is definitely my favorite. But, uh, yeah, it's, these, are, these are some wonderful books. This is a wonderful little corner of our X-Universe here, and I'm so happy that it exists, and I hope that it persists, because uh, it seems like there's going to be some changes this summer. I don't know if anything's getting canceled, but uh, if things do get canceled, I hope it ain't, I hope it ain't some of these books. But, uh Damien wraps up with, anyway, until North Star stops ruining everyone's day, make my next last. And, uh, yeah, old North Star, he's a, he's a, uh, he's a something blocker, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, thank you so much for, uh, writing in Damien and giving me the opportunity to talk some more about a wonderful series and, uh, some of its very, very interesting, uh, aspects here. So thank you so much. Next up, our friend Evans got a King and Black tip. As you all know, I've been asking for help for folks more familiar with the wider Marvel Universe to let me know what books we should check out that might have some bearing on our Krakoan landscape here, just like the book we covered today in Marvel's Voices. And Evan has some tips here from The King in Black, which, outside a few of the tie-ins, I have not touched. He says, I don't know if it's enough to make you want to include it, but the X-Men and Storm have a decent presence in King in Black number one. The only noteworthy thing I've found from the X-Labs perspective is that they showed up in New York to help save the world. They didn't just go, well, as long as you stay off Krakoa. 
He follows up with Storm's dialogue in King in Black number one was way out of character. Very, very casual. And he sent me a few images here, and, uh, yeah. Um, Storm, I, mean, I just said, um. Storm starts a sentence with the word, um. Uh, she says, um, Charles, Tony, can someone explain to me what just happened? And the other panel is, okay, so I need a plan here. That doesn't sound like Storm. <laughs> I've never read anything by, uh, was it Donny Cates? Is he the one who's doing King in Black and all the Venom stuff? I've never read anything by him. I don't know if he's had X characters or Storm in particular appear in any of his books, but Storm starting a sentence with um, like she's trying to correct someone on the internet? Yeah, I don't like that very much. We will be taking a look at some Storm-centric stuff from King and Black when we cover a couple of issues of Savage Avengers in a little while. Uh, that'll have the Savage Avengers, I believe it's Conan and Deadpool representing that team for this story, taking on uh, the Storm, that's the, the Storm Who Laughs and the Cyclops Who Laughs with the aid of the Marauders, who I'm assuming will be picking up from their uh, their own King and Black one-shot, where they were headed to New York to help Cyclops and Storm recover from their symbioting. So we'll get to that when we get there. But thank you so much for sharing that tip, Evan. Any Again, anybody out there following the greater, wider Marvel Universe who knows a story we should be including, or just something we should chat about briefly, please feel free to let me know. Now, before we cut out of here, just a little bit of Facebook chatter from our little group, 90s X-Men. I was talking about X-Men Legends, the uh, current, you know, in-continuity, back-in-the-past sort of stories that we're getting here, because I filled out my DCBS list, like I mentioned earlier, and uh, there is no X-Men or uh, X-Men Legends number 5 solicited for June. And so we questioned whether or not this book was going to continue, and if, in fact, it does... What stories, what incontinuity stories would we like to see explored and fleshed out? And uh, I want to pose that question to you all as well here. Some of the suggestions were uh, more Outback stories, which could be very, very cool. I, I wonder if they could get Chris Claremont to come in and maybe tell some untold stories. I'm sure he's got some, right? you got to assume he's got some. Uh, some more Mora stories, which is a very cool idea, and it's something that I'm actually surprised we haven't gotten yet. Uh, I think I, I want to praise Marvel's restraint for not giving us a 10-issue Mora X limited series. Then again, I, I don't think that that's any sort of restraint. I think they just don't know everything they want us to know just yet. I do kind of expect a Mora uh, miniseries before the Hickman era is out. And, you know, by then, I might be, it might be something I'm actually looking forward to here, just to better flesh out her lives here and maybe maybe show some things that we've already read as fitting in, uh, in, in more context here. Because we've had a lot of questions, of course, and I, I won't go into them now because I've gone into them many, many times. But uh, maybe some Mora stories from previous lives will help massage them into making more organic sense here. We also had a suggestion that's, Right out of my wheelhouse here, right, you know, hit me where it hurts here. We want to see how the 12 should have played out. I don't know how that would work now without Franklin. You know, Franklin was a big part of the 12, at least to me, because he represented, you know, the wider Marvel Universe. And 
I saw his presence there as making this the 12 storyline much bigger than it actually would have been just, just as a regular X-Men story, which, of course, it turned out to be. But the number 12 is still looming large in the X-Books here, the Quiet Council, the Ring of uh, Araco, whatever. I think maybe... It would be interesting to take a look at, uh, at maybe maybe the 12 was a subterfuge, the one we got around the turn of the century, and there actually is a story there. Uh, I, would, I would like to see that, if, uh, if that is the case here. Also on Facebook, we're talking a little bit more about the Summer of Reign of X bloat. We're talking about possibilities for what the redacted titles might be and what titles we might lose. And it's a really fun conversation full of, you know, hot takes and whatnot, and hot takes are uh, they're fun to have every once in a while. I also shared a few new articles that I'd written for Chris's on InfiniteEarths.com, an X-Lapsed Origins story featuring the first mutant ever. Not Namor. This is Tad Carter. Now, if you don't know who Tad Carter is... Well, go to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com and you'll find out that he is the first Marvel mutant. A seminal mutant tale is how they advertised it. Uh, at least way, way, way after the fact. Also, we launched the Sunday special article series wherein I am taking a look at the Austin run. That's a run that has claimed many an X-Fan, and it's a, a run that I haven't looked at or really thought much about in almost two decades. So we're going to take a look at that issue by issue on Sundays when I, when I have the time to do it. And uh, we're going to re-examine the Chuck Austin run, see if it uh, deserves how reviled it is, or maybe it wasn't quite as bad. Uh, in doing just the first issue so far, there is a lot that has not aged well. And uh, I will point all that stuff out. As much as I hate being the guy who says this didn't age well... Sometimes it can't be avoided. But yes, all that and much, much more we're covering and discussing and chatting about on our Facebook group. But that's where I would like to leave it for today. If uh, anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, I encourage you to do so. You could find me very easily. I'm at Twitter on Ace Comics, or you could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Again, you can find blog posts and show notes at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, including all that stuff I just rambled on about. Our Facebook group is 90s X-Men, as I just rambled about. And for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can pop over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available on all your noise aggregation devices and applications. And uh, if you like what you hear, please maybe consider telling a friend or two that this is a a program and a channel that exists and uh, is just waiting for them, waiting for their perked listening ears. It would really, really mean a lot to me. Speaking of meaning a lot to me, it really means a lot to me that you spent some time with me today. Thank you all so, so much. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh